found myself saying when we would be at a Target or the mall or Walmart or wherever, and they would say, Dad, can we buy this? I would find myself looking at them and saying, what do you mean buy this? Do you think money grows on trees? Of course, many parents have said that. I've said over the years to my kids, don't sit so close to the television, you'll go blind. Um, I've said to my kids on road trips, well, you should have gone to the bathroom before we left. And then I'd follow up with, can you hold it? Um, I've said to my kids, it was said to me, no, 10 minutes are not up. Um, I've said to Harrison numerous times, hey, put that down. You could poke somebody's eye out with it. And of course, my favorite saying that my parents said to me that I passed on to my children when they were younger was, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. So how many of you parents out there will say, you said some of those exact same statements. That maybe many of you. You know, most of you probably remember this scenario from your childhood. And if you're currently parenting children, uh, this has probably recently happened to you. So you're having a conversation with your kids and you're talking to them about something that really matters. You're, you're about to have a conversation with them and talk to them about something that is extremely important. You as a mom, you as a dad, you want to make sure that your kids are going to hear what you say and that they will heed what you're about to say. So in that scenario, how many of you have said this to your children like this? Look at me. Look at me while I'm talking to you. Now, how many of you parents would agree right now? I mean, the kids will uh, definitely be in agreement that it's important, something matters. And so what you say to them is you say to your kids, look at me, look at me while I'm talking to you. You say that because as a parent, you know that when your child is looking at you, there is a better chance that they are engaged in what you are saying and that your words are getting through. And so you say this not only maybe when you're correcting your kids, but when you're about to say something that's important to them. It's because face-to-face -face contact or as I would say, eye contact is an essential part of communication. And that's what I want to talk about. I want in this first week of this series on Seeking God, I want to talk about making eye contact with your Heavenly Father. In fact, there are studies that have showed that infants and babies thrive when there is a lot of eye contact uh, from their mom or their dad or their primary caregiver. And they have proven that children that don't receive a lot of eye contact, they won't develop as quickly. You, you've seen this uh, maybe in your own life that when two people are in love with one another, as you can see in the pictures here, uh, what do they do? They look at each other eye to eye. They gaze into each other's eyes and they do it like all day long. 
you know, Reverend Billy Graham and Ruth Graham were married 63 years until her death in 2007. And it's a well-known fact that in the last years of her life, when she had become too frail and too weak to have much of a conversation, Reverend Billy Graham said this, Ruth and I still have a love affair with our eyes. So the flip side of this is that you can also know that there's a problem when there is no eye contact. You look at it in the context of a marriage, there's no eye contact, there's potential problems. When your children don't give you eye contact, you know that there's potentially uh, a, a problematic scenario that is about to occur. That's how important eye contact is, not only between friends, not only between a parent and a child relationship, not only between a husband and a wife, but there is in a sense in which you and I, Brightmore, need to maintain spiritual eye contact with our Heavenly Father. There's a good sense, now listen, there's a good sense in which God would say to each and every one of us right now, look at me while I'm talking to you. Look at me while I'm talking to you. And so today we're going to begin a three-week journey on seeking God. For the next three weeks, we're going to be challenged to put everything on the back burner. We want to receive from God, and instead of just focusing on being with Him or seeing Him, experiencing Him, knowing Him, we want to him with all of our hearts. And the paradox is that when you see God just for the sake of knowing him, your life will automatically become more meaningful. It will automatically become more joyous and it will automatically become more vibrant. Seeking God is the only way to discover your heart's true home. But I want you to know this. This series is not about the payoff as much as it's going to be about the process. I want to talk to you not just about the payoff that you'll get by seeking God, but I want to talk about the process. And what is the process? The process is what does it mean to really seek God in our lives? And how do we go about doing it? I mean, I got to tell you right now that in the many years of my ministry, I have often seen people driven to seek God because of one, a need in their life, or two, there's a void in their life. I know some of you are tremendous successes, accumulated significant wealth, and they find themselves actually empty, wondering if this is all there is. I mean, years ago, I saw an interview on 60 Minutes with Tom Brady, who has set NFL records and has won championships, has Super Bowl rings on just about every finger that he has. And 
yet in a very candid moment on 60 Minutes, he said this, sometimes I think there has to be more than that. So the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us about a similar journey through success and materialism and the pursuit of power and the pursuit of pleasure. And it brought him to the conclusion, as Solomon would say, there has to be more to life than this. And when people have that empty feeling inside, man, that drives them to seek God. Emptiness, barrenness inside drives people to seek God. And then, of course, others are driven to seek God because of crisis. They find themselves on the brink or maybe on the edge of a disaster. I mean, we see an example of this at Second Chronicles where Jehoshaphat is busy minding his own business. Uh, he's striving to lead a nation with integrity and suddenly Jehoshaphat gets news that there are three armies that are approaching him, three nations that now join forces together with a single per uh, purpose of taking him out and taking over uh, his nation. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3, it reads like this. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Notice that. He set his face to seek the Lord. Why? Because sometimes people seek out of a barrenness and an emptiness and there's got to be more. But then there are some people that seek because they're in trouble. And trouble has a way of getting our attention. Whatever drives you to seek God, whether it's, I got to have something more, or whether it's the fear or frustration or discouragement or despair or crisis. I want you to know this, that God is pleased whenever we turn our eyes to him and seek him. God is pleased every time. I want you to know that your search for more of God in your life will not end in vain. The writer of Hebrews said it like this in Hebrews 11 and chapter 6. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. As far back as one of the first books of the Bible, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29 says, But if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Listen, this is what the writer of Deuteronomy is saying to us, is that when you seek God with a I'm dead serious about this attitude. If you're in that kind of search, it will never end in vain. And that's where I want us to be, Brightmore. I want us to be. I am dead serious about these next three weeks. I am dead serious about these next 21 days that I'm going to grow in my relationship with God exponentially. I'm going to grow not just by addition. I'm going to grow by multiplication. It's going to be not just an addition. It's going to be to the fifth power, to the tenth power. You mathematic teachers know what I'm talking about. I want you to know this, that God says this. If you seek me, you will find me. Man, I got to tell you that the creator of 
entire universe desires to be sought after by you and by me. To know him personally. Not just, I'm not saying I want you to know about him. I'm not saying I want you to know more stories about what took place in the Bible. But I want you to know him. To sense his presence. To hear his voice. To feel his comforting embrace around you. Oh, that's what I want us to do. This is what God wants for every man, every woman, every child on this planet. He wants us to do it today. I want to explain as we begin in this three-week series about doing that, about seeking his face. And I love that terminology. Go ahead and say it one more time. Seeking Seeking his his face. face. One more time. Seeking his face. Watch. You see it all through scripture. You see 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, which a lot of people are reading and praying. But what does it say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And here is what? And seek seek my faith. Seek my faith. Seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God wants us to seek his faith. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 11 clearly points that out. What does it say? Look to the Lord. And his strength. What? Say it. Seek his his face face always. always. Seek his face always. I I, got to tell you, what does it mean to seek his face then? Is it that God's lost or you're kind of fumbling through the darkness? No, 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 no. Look what it says. Another version. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 11. Another version. It says this. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his, not face, it doesn't say, but what does it say? Seek his presence. Seek his presence continually. It's his presence. When we talk about seeking God's face, we're really talking about seeking God's presence. Seeking his every day, one-on-one, together in the same room, communion with us. Did you know God is in the very room you are in right now? Let that sink in. He's not just here at Brightmore in his sanctuary on the corner of M5 and 13 Mile. He's there. The important distinction to make here is that this isn't about wandering about, trying to locate God, or jumping through some spiritual hoops in an attempt to find him. It's more about acknowledging that he is already Right or he's already with you. He's already here. He's with me. He's already there. He's with you right where you are. How do I know? Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 21, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Seeking God's face begins, listen, with not trying to find him, but to acknowledge his presence with you. To acknowledge his presence with you. Now, 
I know that we have been sheltering. I know that we are not in large groups. And I know that in kind of this illustration I use, I want you to think back before sheltering, if you don't mind. But have you ever been like in a group of people, come up, maybe they're having a conversation, you come up, and they're all talking to one another, and you're right there in the midst of them, but they don't acknowledge that you're there. You ever feel that way? You ever walk up on a group of people, or uh, at one time or another, and they're having a conversation, and you're like, hey, everybody, and like they don't even acknowledge that you are there. You say something, and they're kind of, listen, that stuff drives me completely crazy. So it happened to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was on a Zoom call with my wife and uh, some of our friends from around the nation. And you can see the picture of the Zoom call. And we're like all talking. And man, I, I, I just kept saying, hey, and I tried to get a word in and no one acknowledged. I'd say a statement. No one would, ca- ca- you know, uh, capitalize on the statement. It, it was as if I wasn't even on the Zoom call. I mean, I thought, is this a conspiracy that's happening? And so, you know what I did? I actually went to bed. I mean, if you look at that Zoom call a little closer, I go up to my bedroom and I actually turn off the Zoom and I'm out and I don't even think they knew that. (laughs) But here's what it got me thinking right now and that is this. It got me thinking that potentially, potentially, that we at times tend to do the same thing to God. He's here. He's in our presence. But we don't acknowledge Him. You go about your life. You're in maybe quarantine. You might be in sheltering. You might have limited movement. But you do it anyways as if God is not even there. So, many of you know Craig Rochelle, who pastors one of the largest churches in the United States. Had a unique opportunity to meet him about a year and a half ago. But you can see off to the side, a couple of years ago, he wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. I read it, which he talks kind of about this phenomenon that I'm addressing. And if you look closely, the subtitle of the book was Believing in God but living like he doesn't exist. Man, I thought, wow. I mean, many times I fall into that trap. Many times Christians fall into that trap. Many times churches fall into that trap. It's not, I'm not talking about living a life of debauchery. I'm not talking about living a life of full-blown sin. As much as I'm just talking about you go through life as if God's not even in the room. God wants more than Sunday morning attendance. Did I say that? Mm-hmm. If you were here, you would have had a gasp in here. God doesn't want just Sunday morning attention or Wednesday night token viewership on Facebook or Instagram or off our church. He wants more than just obedience. He wants devotion. He wants a heart. Look him in the eye when he's talking to you. 
look at them like you Turn your eyes towards them. Acknowledge his presence in your room. Focus on
kids have on us, and you got to kind of walk like this as a parent because they're kind of just staying on you, so you're doing all of this kind of stuff, but it was grabbing my leg, no daddy, no daddy, I don't want to go in there, and you had to pry them off, get to move them through the door, you want to give them another hug, another kiss, but they're clinging, they're begging you not to leave, it's just heartbreaking. Yet at the same time, it's very eye-opening. It's eye-opening in the fact that this little child desperately wants me and desperately needs me in her life. And so she clings to me. Well, day four comes, and now she's kind of made some friends. Day five, going into the next week. Listen. By day four, five, six, seven, however, I mean, they're bouncing out of the car, they're running through, they got friends, they got toys, they know what they're doing, they're probably more happy in there than they are back in the car, they've kind of already gone through all of that kind of stuff, but that was another eye-opening experience, how quickly they can forget you, but what I'm trying to say is I'm making this suggestion that you and I need to learn to cling to God the same way a desperate child will cling to their parent on their first or second day of going to kindergarten or to daycare at that same level of intensity as Marissa Vice gripped my leg. I want you, Brightmore, to cling and to cleave to your heavenly Father just like that. In the book of Genesis, God talks about marriage, and he says that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That word cleave is the same root uh, word for glue. So what God is saying is that a married couple should stick with one another forever. And then David comes along, King David, and he writes in Psalm 63 and verse 8, my soul clings to you. The word translated here, cling, is the very same word translated cleave in Genesis. It's the same word. So it means glue. It's a description of your relationship with God. In other words, we need to be glued to God. We say things like they're glued to their video games or they're glued to the TV or they're glued to their iPad or they're glued to Netflix. Listen, we need to be glued to God. Our eye contact needs to be towards our Heavenly Father. We need to cling and cleave and be glued to Him every day. And how do we do that? By acknowledging His presence throughout the day. It's simple. It's not some magical formula or it's not something you find being a monk or a hermit and going away into isolation. Listen, it just means that you are always aware of how aware you are of the presence of God. Say it. God is here. God is here. God is, here. God is in the sanctuary. God is in your home. God is in your room. God is sitting on that couch beside you. God is in your kitchen. God is in your hallway. It's just simply acknowledging him every day. Clinging and cleaving and being glued to him. Listen, you might get off 
So let me give you uh, just a quick illustration on how you can make sure you're acknowledging your presence. Right? So this is what I always say. Number one, I would always say, get in the habit of acknowledging God's presence first thing in the morning. The first thing, listen, before you get out and brush your teeth, before you drink your bath, you wake up, you acknowledge God, you're with me. God, you're still with me. The second thing that I would tell you to do is I would say get in the habit of acknowledging God's presence in the closing moments of each day. When you turn the TV off, put the book down, and you silence maybe your cell phone, you switch off the lights. If you're married, you kiss your spouse goodnight. In, in those moments before you drip on, drip off the drop off, don't drip off, you drop off to sleep, uh, you acknowledge him again. God, thank you for this day. And as you do that, you become more aware of his presence. You become more aware of the It's like my dad brought back, when he served in Vietnam, he brought back some bookends that I've had uh, for years in my office. They are beautiful bookends of actually elephants that are hand-carved. And so I keep them as a very uh, nice keepsake or a memento uh, in my office. And so you know what happens. You take a, uh, a bookend and you set it up like this, and you can lean a book against it, and what it does is it'll pop it up for you. But if you want to really secure the book, you got to take the other book in, and you got to push them together. And what it does is when you have both bookends in place, it holds your life together. What am I saying, Brightmore? When you're seeking God's face, if you recognize Him first thing in the morning, and you recognize Him the last thing at night, he holds your life together. Get it? Somebody better be hitting hearts with some amens on that Facebook or shouting hallelujah. Because that's what I'm asking you to do. To acknowledge him first thing in the morning. Acknowledging him the last thing in the evening. And as you put it together, you will find yourself throughout the day acknowledging his presence in such a great way. Make sure that you do that right more. Because when we do that, we will grow in our Number two, number two in seeking his face, getting to know him better, I want you to have praise and appreciation. I want you to have praise and appreciation. And I've heard a lot of people uh, out there on social media grumbling about, oh, I gotta stay home, I gotta stay home, I gotta stay home. Listen, healthcare workers wish they could stay home. So I want us to switch gears and to have praise and appreciation. You're in your home. You have food in your refrigerator. Amen. You have running water. I mean, there's a, a lot of things. What does it say in Psalm 100 and verse 4? I mean, I mean, everybody knows that verse. What does it say? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So, an essential step in seeking God's face and seeking his presence is to come to him with a spirit of gratitude. I mean, right, for a moment, all the good reasons you have to complain. Listen, we got a laundry list of reasons to complain. But instead, 
think back on every good thing that has happened to you. Every blessing, every success, every pleasant experience. Take a moment to acknowledge who is the source behind that. And I got to tell you, it's not you. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Take a moment throughout the day to say, thank you, Jesus, that I have truth. Thank you, Jesus, that my family is well. And there are people in our church family that have lost loved ones to COVID-19. I got to tell you, we've been ministering and praying for them and trying to help out. But be thankful. Take a moment to say, you know what? To God be the glory for all the great things that he has done. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And forget not his benefits, as the Bible says. So seeking God means to stop for a moment talking about me, 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 and start recognizing him Now 
Mother's Day. I know it's hard to believe, but that is true. 21 days. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. Starting tomorrow, we will be posting on social media a reminder that we as a church family want to grow in our knowledge of God. We want to seek His face. We cling and we cleave, yes, but we're also going to do it through the witness of His Word. So collectively as a church family, I want us over the next 21 days to read through the Gospel of John. One chapter a day starting tomorrow. So you guys can do that. If you're going to be part of it, say amen. There you go. I heard you. I heard you. Number four. Number four if you want to see today. we got a couple more. We do it through fasting with a focus. I want us to fast with a focus. So, a couple of Thursdays ago, uh, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of the Brightmore family. Um, how many of you were uh, participating in the sacred assembly that we had during Holy Week with many other churches in the Metro Detroit area? Um, I love the fact when uh, you can get Presbyterians and Pentecostals together and pray together. I mean, you got to recognize the Lord only has one church. It has maybe different personalities, but there's only one church. And I love how we came together, Pentecostals and Methodists and Independents and Presbyterians and, you know, uh, uh, Baptists and, and, and many other. And we prayed, but we took it a step further. And many of you joined in fasting. We had a time where we fasted that day. And I know that some of you have reached out to me and have said, boy, that was such a great event. Can we do this like uh, on a yearly basis? And we as pastors in the area have discussed that about participating in a sacred assembly like that every year. And I think it would be uh, fantastic. But I love the fact that we fasted. When you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, I referred to it earlier, he heard about armies who were planning to invade Israel. And the Bible says that Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. Remember early on that scripture? But notice 2 Chronicles 20 in verse number 3. What does it say he did? It says, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. I mean, there is something empowering about fasting. Denying like physical hunger enables us to satisfy spiritual hunger, a spiritual appetite. And now I'm not asking you to fast 40 days and 40 nights, uh, but I think it is appropriate for us at times in the church to call a fast. And I know that over the years I've called fast before from our church. When uh, we were going into Because Tomorrow Matters, we called the church to fast. Time is now. When we were contemplating building, looking for direction, wanting our church family to we declared a fast. Many people in leadership um, and in our sisterhood, uh, every year in January, do a 21-day Daniel fast where it's only vegetables that they will eat. And I feel that fast. 
guests are called for during special moments where we want to grow in God and we need him to show up. So I feel right more that this is one of those moments right now. So on top of reading one chapter out of the Gospel of John every day for the next 21 days leading into Mother's Day, I'm asking that our Brightmore family will fast with a focus every Thursday between now and Mother's Day. That's three Thursdays. We will once again push out on the social media what the focus of our prayer and fasting will be. And I got to tell you, this Thursday, we're going to pray for essential frontline people. They need our prayers. Matter of fact, we've been reaching out to hospitals and trying to bring food to them as a church family, like at Henry Ford in West Bloomfield and uh, looking at Providence Park in Novi and different hospitals in our area. Why? We need to pray for those that are on the front line. So we're going to fast, but we're going to fast with a focus. And the church's focus will be announced, but you might have something very specific in your life that you're asking God to do. So have that focus uh, moment with the Lord as you fast. So every Thursday, starting this Thursday, we're going for the next three Thursdays, leading into Mother's Day, during this series on Seeking God. I think as a church family, God will bless us, God will hear us, God will honor this type of faith and obedience.
That might mean less Facebook. That might mean less Instagram. Uh, that might mean less binging on Netflix. That might mean a lot of things that you have to clear out of your life to take the clutter that is there and find more room for God in your life. Right? Well, I believe this with all of my heart. Hear me. I believe this. I think and believe and I pray that over these next 21 days where we're reading a chapter a day out of the Gospel of John, where we are fasting every uh, Thursday with a focus, where we're having thanksgiving and appreciation, where we're clinging and cleaving to the Lord as we examine the non-essential things in our lives and clear out the clutter. I believe this in the next 21 days.
video explosion. Really? I love these people to memorize it and put it in your life. But it's Psalm 121. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. God is always with you. And I would leave you with Psalm 27, verse 2. My heart says of you. Memorize this right now. That's what we're going to do this week. That's what we're doing for the next